0: Welcome to the West Virginia Attorney Podcast, where we talk about all things legal, whether it be criminal defense, DUI, personal injury, car accidents, med mal, Whatever you want to talk about within that realm, that's what we're going to talk about on this podcast. And this is geared towards clients when you want to find out information on what you need to know to choose a lawyer. Now, this is not legal advice. We do not have an attorney-client relationship, but so this is just legal tips, the things you need to know when choosing a lawyer. So welcome. I look forward to talking to you. I look forward to you engaging as we go forward on this podcast. On today's episode, we're going to talk about criminal defense. What do you need to know when you get arrested? The most important thing you need to know when you get arrested, number one, is remain silent. Number two is remain calm. And Number three, make sure you contact an attorney immediately. And here's why. A lot of times people like to wait to see if it will magically disappear or somehow the cop will forget about it or maybe they won't charge you. That's not a reality make sure you contact an attorney immediately who is experienced in criminal defense matters. When you're speaking with that attorney, make sure you take them your paperwork. They're gonna be a big thick envelope of all your paperwork, your charging documents. Make sure you take that attorney, that information so they can be well-informed about what you're being charged with. Our firm handles state and federal criminal defense. Anything from a homicide to a public intoxication to a murder case to a federal sex case, computer crimes, narcotics. We handle everything criminal. Now, it's very important that we can identify what that charge is immediately because there are certain timelines we are working with. And if we don't have the proper paperwork at the proper time, we miss certain deadlines. And that's a problem for you. So, for example, let's say you've been charged with possession of marijuana. At the filming of this podcast, West Virginia does not have a medical marijuana license. Now, That may change in the future. There are certain litigation going on right now in the federal courts to make sure if medical marijuana will be used in all 50 states or 51, depending on if we're counting D.C. at the time of this podcast. But as of right now, West Virginia does not recognize medical marijuana. Other states do. That's important because West Virginia really, it it corners and mirrors certain states. So if you're coming across the line from Pennsylvania to a game in Morgantown, or you're coming across the line from Kentucky or Virginia, or you're coming across from Ohio, you wanna make sure you understand understand what the laws are in West Virginia. And as of right now, they do not recognize it. Now, if you are caught with marijuana in West Virginia, there are certain factors you need to look at. Is it for personal use or are you packaging it for distribution? There are certain factors that go in that, and we can talk about that in our first consultation. Mainly it's whether or not it's a small amount or whether it's packaged in small bags, but a bunch of small bags. Are there amounts of currency? Are there small denominations or large denominations? Did they see you in a drug transaction? Is it packaged for a huge distribution? For example, is it in large shopping bags or large gallon bags? Or if it's packaged that way, is that something, we always call it the Sam's or the Costco defense. People like to go to Costco and Sam's to buy things in bulk so they don't have to make multiple trips. Same concepts apply here. If it's something where you are a heavy user, and you're just using it on a regular basis, daily, a couple of times a day, maybe it's packaged large in bulk because you are a heavy user and you don't want to purchase it over and over and over again and exposing yourself. So there are certain things that we can talk about if you are charged with possession of marijuana, whether it's simple possession or whether it's possession with intent to distribute. Let's say you've been charged with something other than marijuana, like cocaine, heroin, meth, ice. These are all things that could be under the same analysis, simple possession. However, it's going to depend on the volume, the packaging, currency, denominations. Now, West Virginia at this point, as I imagine in many states, has a huge meth and ice problem right now. There are a lot of people coming in from different states because of different different colleges in the state. They're coming down from different cities and different states, and they're bringing in the different meth, drugs, heroin, cocaine, crack, and it's making the state have a huge problem when it comes to narcotics. So they are treating, not really treating them differently, they're more harsh on people who are coming in from out of state because at that point, it seems as if the problems can be solved if we just cut off the borders, but that's not a reality. You can't cut off the borders in separate states. So yes, West Virginia has a huge problem when it comes to different drugs other than marijuana. However, you're gonna treat it with the same analysis. Is it the volume, packaging and things like that? So let's talk about possible penalties. Now, in West Virginia, you do have a diversionary program for, let's say, for simple possession users is your first offense. There's a thing where we can get a diversion program for you, where you can do some classes, maybe some AA, NA meetings, maybe pay some funds, some community service, and get it dismissed and possibly just dis- and wiped off your record, expunged off your record. For the people who are using and distributing, as opposed to using and distributing, you can have a felony. You can be charged with a felony. And those penalties range from one to five, one to 15, 1 to 10. It just depends on the type of drug and how it's packaged. Now, if you are charged with that felony, you can also, with the right counsel, you can probably petition for getting the felony dismissed or reduced down to a misdemeanor, either immediately or after a period of time. Let's say it's your first offense and you're charged with a felony of a hard drug. But there are certain factors they look at. Let's see, you're a student. It's your first offense. You come from a good family. You, you immediately admitted to everything that happened. You cooperated with police, not in the sense of you're testifying or anything, but you just you were very cooperative with the police when they arrested you. Hey, I did something wrong. I did something stupid. You lawyered up. You turned yourself in. There were no issues throughout the pendency of your case before with we the trial. Your lawyer talks with the prosecutor, and we make a negotiation where we say, you know what. Let's watch them, put them on probation for a year, maybe even two years. And within those two years, if they do everything they're asked to do, stay in school, keep a job, stay out of trouble, have clean urine screens, then maybe we'll end up reducing that down to a misdemeanor. And then even after that, maybe it can get expunged. But there are certain factors that go into that negotiations, and it really depends on you as the client and the representative you choose to represent you. Now, let's talk about the crimes that flow from narcotics crimes. Now, you typically see a firearm, a person in possession of a firearm while for, in furtherance of drug transactions or drug trafficking that can be charged in federal court. In federal court and state court are two totally different jurisdictions. I mean, if you're thinking about, think about it this way, think about the jump from high school football into the pros. What, no college, no nothing. Just high school to the pros. That's the jump from state to federal court. The penalties are much more intense. They're higher. The, the consequences are much higher and you're dealing with different agencies. We call them a three letter agencies, DEA, FBI, ATF. These are the agencies you're dealing with. So you wanna make sure if you're charged with a firearm and the furtherance of drug trafficking, make sure you get a lawyer who's experienced in federal drug crimes, because that's odds are that's where you're gonna end up. Now, different other crimes that flow from that, unfortunately, you have sex crimes that flow from that. Let's say someone's incapacitated because they've had too much to drink or they've had too much narcotics. They are a simple drug user and all of a sudden they get into a situation where now it is a it becomes a sex offense because someone takes advantage of their vulnerability. Now you're in federal court or state court, depending on the crime and where it was committed, and now you're facing those higher penalties. So firearms, I see sex crimes. Also, you see, unfortunately, you see other trafficking crimes to different states. It It becomes a huge problem just by the drugs alone. Let's talk about violent crimes. Violent crimes also stem and flow from the possession of narcotics because obviously there's a firearm. And now you have two people who are in a dangerous situation because it is a drug deal. And what judges do not like to hear, they do not like to hear this was a drug deal gone bad because drug deals are inherently bad. But unfortunately, when you have drug deals, you have two people who are interested in drugs and money and sometimes they want to protect either or or both. So now you have someone who can want to, who wants to infringe on different territory or who wants to rob someone because it's not it's not they're not on the up and up in the first place. So why is it so unreasonable to think that someone could have commit violence or someone could die as a result of a drug transaction? So we do see unfortunately violent crimes. Let's talk about bar fights and just, I like to call them college and stupid crimes. In college, we've all done stupid things. Now, sometimes it's recorded. Sometimes it's not. In this day and age, you have to assume that everything is recorded. There's a camera everywhere in the corners of the bar and also in the pocket of everyone, every patron in that bar. So sometimes you go in there, you had too much to drink. People are pre-gaming before the bar. They go to the bar and have too much to drink. And maybe they're going to an after party after the bar. You couple that with youth. And you couple that with maybe just the energy of a game, a big game, a rivalry game. And now there's bar fights because they're fighting over something stupid as a game or they're fighting over a person or a bet that went wrong. Now they're fighting and doing something stupid. And now you're presenting yourself to the court on your worst day. Because other than that, but for that incident, you were a perfect student. You were a straight A student. You went to sc- classes all the time. You never had anything on your record. But on that night you made a bad decision and you did something stupid. Now you're in a situation where you need a lawyer. I always tell clients in that situation, make sure you get a lawyer, especially college students, because the the tendency is to hide it from your parents. I'm by myself, I'm 18, I'm an adult, my parents don't need to know about this. And now you're getting the influence from all your friends telling you, oh, don't call your parents, just plead guilty, no big deal. Well, your parents sometimes are paying for that education. And they don't want to be able to pay for an education that is unusable because now you have a felony on your record because of one bad night. An experienced attorney can help you in that situation and keep that off your record. Let's talk about what also flows from that bar fight. It's not just the criminal charges. The university can institute proceedings against you through the student conduct. The Office of Student Conduct can send you a letter or an email and say, hey, we understand you're a student here. You got into a fight. Let's talk about that. Now you're going to get that email and think, it's not a big deal. It's just a conversation. They can't hurt me. That's wrong. They can hurt you. They can suspend you. They can expel you. They can suspend you for a period of time. They could put you on probation. But you want to make sure that academic and your criminal record is kept clean. How you can do that? Hire an attorney at the beginning, as soon as you receive contact, either by the police or Or by student conduct, hire an attorney so they can go with you to that meeting. And if there is a hearing, they can protect your interests and protect your academic record. Also, let's talk about domestic battery. It is a touchy subject because of how it's viewed in the public. Because sometimes people have a bad night, they had too much to drink, there are disagreements, there are arguments, and they turn physical. Some and then the cops get called. Not all of a sudden, there's a criminal proceeding. Now, let's say the husband or the wife doesn't want to pursue it or the girlfriend and boyfriend doesn't want to pursue those charges. It's too late at that point. Once the cops get involved, it's too late. It's now a legal proceeding. People get subpoenaed for that. Once you give a report, you can't back out of it. So it's very important to get an attorney for that, because if you plead guilty or are found guilty of a domestic battery or any type of crime that includes a domestic partner, now you're affecting other rights. There's collateral consequences as a result of that. Maybe you can't purchase a firearm later on. You can't go hunting later on. You can't conceal a firearm. You can't get a concealed permit when you go to different states that require that, all because of that one night and that one charge and that one decision you made not to go, not to get an attorney when you went to court for that that hearing. So just make sure you hire an attorney for that because it's not just the criminal charge, it's the collateral consequences that come with it. Let's talk a minute about property crimes flowing from the drug trafficking problems and the the territory problems, you see people breaking in and trying to, quote unquote, rob the drug dealer or to get back at someone. Or let's say it is it is a domestic issue and they go to the house and they they knock on the door that they want to make up, they want to apologize, but instead they're not met with any anyone who's going to be willing to let them in the house. So they take things into their own and they kick down the door or they break down the door or they sneak in because of fraternity prank or whatever. That is a problem because it is a felony, depending on when it's done, how it's done. It could be if it's done at night, it's a, I mean it's a huge problem. If it's done during the day, it's still a problem, but not as significant if it's done at night. But let's say let's let's run through that, let's run through that process. Let's say you sneak in because of a prank or something stupid, or you sneak in the wrong house because you're drunk and you don't recognize the house number, you don't realize the house number. You sneak into the wrong house and someone has a firearm. Now you're intruding in that space and they want to use legal force or deadly force, that's a problem for you in more ways than one, not just the criminal charges. It could be an issue, maybe even a fatal one. Let's talk a little bit about the quote-unquote white-collar crimes. I love the the moniker we put on blue-collar versus white-collar crimes. To me, a crime is a crime. I mean, depending on where you're charged, you're still facing serious penalties. But the white-collar crimes, as they're called, Deals with embezzlement, deals with wire fraud. Sometimes it deals with computer crimes where you're sexting someone or you're sending pictures from a phone or you're harassing someone using the computer. We still deal with that, but it's, it's a different type of client at that point. Sometimes they are an executive. So sometimes they are dealing with a, a company they're stealing from. You wanna make sure you have an attorney who can represent your interests at that time. Because again, now you're being fired from your job. Or you have, to, you have to face a board, or you have to face other members in your company disciplinary. So let's give an example. Let's say you are a manager, an executive, you're an assistant, and you're charged with stealing from your company through wire fraud, through just transferring money or whatever. You're getting called into human resources, and there is an in-house counsel there. There may be a, a retired detective who works security there, and they're asking you what happened, and you give a statement. And you confess to everything, hoping I'm just going to save my job. I want to just get it off my chest and get it over with. They say, thank you. You're fired. You're terminated. They're going to take that same report and turn it over to the local prosecutor. And now you're facing criminal charges. So not only are you fired from your job, now you're facing criminal charges. So and you have a confession against you in the criminal proceeding. So make sure the moment you are contacted with someone about a criminal offense, whether it be on the job or outside of the job, Make sure you call an attorney because they want to protect your interest from beginning to end on both the, the company side and also the criminal side. Let's talk a little bit about DUIs. A lot of people want to know what is a DUI versus a DWI. D- driving under the influence or driving while intoxicated, the issue is the influence or intoxicated. Are you under the influence of narcotics or you under influence of alcohol? In West Virginia, it doesn't matter. If you are under the influence of something that renders you unsafe or unable to safely operate a vehicle, you can be charged with a DUI. Now, there's a difference in West Virginia and other neighboring states like Pennsylvania. West Virginia charges a DUI on two separate occasions. If you're 0.08 to 0.15, it's a general impairment. Anything above 0.15 is an aggravated DUI. So you have different sets of penalties. You could be facing jail time, or you can be reduced down to a general impairment and facing maybe probation, depending on where you're charged, the standard deviation of the BAC levels, the field sobriety test, a lot goes into that calculation of how you're charged and when you're charged. You definitely want to get an attorney immediately. It's embarrassing because it could be your first offense a lot of times. Typically, the occasion comes when you're almost to your house. I get two types of responses. Well, what happened? Well, I was almost to my house and then I got stopped. I was two blocks from my house and I got stopped. Or my favorite, you know, cop comes to the car did you have anything to drink tonight? And what do you think they say? Yeah, I had two drinks. Everyone says two drinks and they think that's the answer. Like that's the magical answer that's going to get me out of this. It's not. Please don't answer those questions. Contact the lawyer and make sure they can represent your interests. And that's what we handle also. Now, let's talk a little bit about how the officers view a DUI. An officer's officer's report usually has three things. I stopped them. They had bloodshot eyes, unsteady gait, and an odor of alcohol emanating from their person. Those are the three magic words they put, or magic phrases they put into their report when talking about a DUI. Now, you as the client or the quote-unquote driver, alleged driver at the time, you're going to say, well, I feel fine. I don't feel drunk. I was drinking last night. It's a new day now. But maybe your tolerance is so high that you can have a lot of alcohol and not consider yourself drunk, where well, the law doesn't recognize. They don't differentiate between how you feel versus what the officer observes and how they perceive you're driving. So if you're unable to safely operate that vehicle and your breathalyzer results show that you're above the legal limit, you're going to be charged with a DUI. Let's talk about DUI stops. A lot of times on weekends or around certain holidays, they have DUI stops or checkpoints. And a lot of people like to avoid them. They see them down the road and they try to hurry up and turn around. Don't do that because there are officers waiting for you as you turn around. And there's going to be a presumption that you turned around for a reason. Now they're going to be highly suspicious at that point and probably ask you a little bit more questions. But as you go through the checkpoint, they have to have a certain protocol that they follow. It has to be randomized that they follow. They may stop at each car. They may stop at every third car, every fourth car. That's why it's important to have a lawyer for those cases if you are stopped as a result of a DUI checkpoint, because now they can go back and look at the protocols that they follow. They can pull the body cam. They can pull the dash cam. Is there any other footage available that demonstrates that they were following a protocol or were you profiled because of what you were driving or how you were looking or the type of car you had or because you had an out-of-state plate and you were in a different state? You want to make sure they are following that protocol. And if they deviate from that, that becomes an issue for them and their standard of proof and what evidence they can get in at court. A lot of times we've seen on occasion, different types of influence. You're under the influence of ambient or some other similar product because you have not been able to sleep or conversely, let's say you're working all night, you're a truck driver and you're keeping something, to, taking something that can keep you up at night to make sure you do your job and you're getting stopped and the cop assumes incorrectly that you are under the influence of an illegal narcotic or because you're under the influence of alcohol. Based on that process, we can pull pull those records Pull your medical records, pull the body cam and the dash cam footage to see exactly what they observed that led them to the conclusion that you were unable to safely operate that vehicle. And now we have a fighting chance at trial, either get that charge dismissed or at a minimum reduced, or maybe get you into a deferral program. Because again, if it's a first offense, a lot of times those are viewed as a mistake. But if it's multiple and subsequent offenses, it's no longer a mistake. It becomes a problem. And not only is it a problem for you medically, it could be a problem for you in the court system, also, because now it's not a misdemeanor, it could be charged as a felony, and as it does a bigger issue. Let's talk about the look back period a little bit. Usually the look back period for the courts is 10 years. Now the DMV, they can hold that forever. They they just don't forget. They they don't forget and they don't forgive. So if there's let's say you get treated as a first DUI after 10 years, after having your first DUI, they may treat that as a first DUI. That second one, they may treat that as a first one, but the DMV. When you're charged with a second DUI, they're gonna treat that as a second DUI. So when you have upper license suspension, they're not treating it as a first. The DMV is gonna treat it as a second DUI, which brings us to another point. When you're charged with the DUI, you're not only dealing with the criminal system and the justice system, you're dealing with a parallel administrative proceeding with the DMV. So you may get a hundred dollar fine or maybe house arrest or maybe probation. They may be fine with the court. You may walk away thinking, wow, this is over. That was easier than I thought. And then you're going to get a a thick envelope from the DMV and it's going to talk about your license being suspended and you have to do some classes and have to get an interlock device for your vehicle. And you want to make sure you don't ignore that process and and think it's just going away. Even if you're an out-of-state driver, they're going to send that letter to you and try to suspend your license. So it's very important you get that information to a lawyer to make sure you can get your, your license, maintain your license, even for a temporary period, or maybe even get A temporary driver's license so you can get on the interlock process and continue on with your life. Let's talk about enhanced penalties for a moment. Let's say in federal court, you are dealing drugs within a thousand feet of a protected location, whether it be a school or a playground. Now, certain areas in West Virginia, there are nothing but schools and playgrounds within that entire city. So if you deal anywhere in that city, you're gonna be charged with that with that charge dealing within a thousand feet of a protected location. That's a mandatory one year in federal court and you can't escape that. Now, there are certain things you can defend against it. Maybe you can say that you're a first time offender, you're entitled to what they call a safety valve. And maybe you you don't have to get that mandatory offense, but there are certain things in West Virginia that you just cannot do. And one of them are dealing within a thousand feet of a protected location. And also when you're dealing with in state, in state court, there could be enhanced penalties like I talked about on another issue on DUIs. If it's a first offense, it could be charged as a misdemeanor, but also it could be charged as a felony if it's subsequent offenses. So you want to make sure if it's a if it's a first offense or a subsequent offense, tell your attorney, please don't clam up when you go into the office, whether it's me or anyone else. Don't go into that office and make them think, oh, this is my first offense. And then you get all the paperwork from or the attorney gets the paperwork from the court and they find out it's your third offense. That's that doesn't, it doesn't help anyone. If it hurts anyone, it hurts you. Let's talk about if you are a West Virginia licensed driver and you're caught with a DUI in Pennsylvania, or you're caught with a DUI in a neighboring state of Ohio, or Kentucky, or Virginia. Depending on which state you are in, they may send that back to West Virginia notice of a DUI offense, and West Virginia may take action against you in excess of what that state does. Now, depending on what state that is, you have to find a lawyer in that state to make sure your interests are protected. But anytime you get a DUI and you have a West Virginia license, and you get a DUI in another state, you must think about the possibility that that state could send it back to West Virginia, and West Virginia can require you to do classes to interlock or try to suspend your license while you're in West Virginia. Let's let's talk a bit about CDLs. Now, if you have a CDL license, it's different. You're going to be treated differently in the court, especially with the DMV when it comes to a DUI. A lot of times if that is your livelihood and you have a CDL, you need to make sure your attorney understands that because now that is something they want to bring to attention of a prosecutor because in reality, no one wants to put you out of a job because of a bad night because of a mistake you made. Let's say you're not driving with your CDl, you're just driving, On a regular night, you're in your car and you come back and you had too much to drink and you get stopped for a DUI. Now that impacts your CDL license that you have to go to work on on Sunday or Monday and you're driving a truck. Now that becomes a problem. Make sure you tell your attorney that because if they don't know and they make a deal based on their understanding of you just having this irregular license, Now, all of a sudden, your CDL is impacted and now you're facing license suspension, maybe up to a year or even longer, simply because you didn't let your attorney know that you had a CDL. So if you have a CDL or any other specialized license, make sure you let your attorney know that. Now, we've talked about a lot of crimes. We talked about DUI. We talked about drug crimes, sex crimes drug trafficking, personal use, all those different crimes. If any of those apply to you or someone you know, make sure you reach out to an attorney who's experienced in that area. My firm handles that. This is not my opportunity to tell you, hey, call me, call me, call me. I'm available, yes. But there are other good attorneys who are experienced in this area. Make sure you call an attorney who is right for you in your situation. If you're charged with a DUI, don't call an attorney who does wills and estates. They really can't help you. If you're charged with a sex crime, you might not want to call people who only deal in underage drinking or traffic citations because the the consequences are a little bit higher. So please call an attorney who understands what you're being faced with, what you're being charged with, where you're being charged, and make sure they can demonstrate to you that they are experienced in that area. Some of the questions you want to ask, how how many cases have you handled like this in the past? They may not be able to tell you results, but what are some of the outcomes you have seen? How do you think my case should proceed? What type of retainer are you looking for? What does that cover? who am I talking to if I hire your firm? Am I talking to you as the attorney or am I talking to a paralegal or an associate or someone who is going to show up for my case? Will it be you or will it be someone else? These are all the questions, just the minimal, you should ask your attorney when you're charged with a crime. Whether it be DUI, sex offense, drug trafficking, whatever you're charged with, make sure you reach out to an experienced attorney. And my goal is to make sure you understand the need for an attorney. A lot of times people think it's just a citation. I can handle it myself. It's not a big deal. I can go online and look at all this stuff. I looked at Frank's podcast and he showed me all this stuff. No, you need an experienced attorney to help you in your case. Do not walk in a courtroom without an attorney. You never want to do that. Now, if I'm the person who is taking your case, my goal is to make sure you receive the best possible outcome. Now, I can't promise you a dismissal. No one can promise you a dismissal. No one can promise you a not guilty. But we want to make sure we look at all the facts and make sure what is the best possible resolution for you. Is it a deferral program? Is it a possible dismissal? Is it a reduction? Is it a a different charge that needs to be charged? Is it something that maybe if you stay out of trouble for a certain period of time, it can be reduced? Is it something where you could pay a fine? There are certain outcomes that deal with certain cases, and there are just so many different possibilities. So my goal is to make sure you receive the best outcome for your case for the particular charge you're facing. Thank you again for listening to the West Virginia Attorney Podcast. We really appreciate you tuning in. If you want to reach out to us, visit us online at frankwalkerlaw.com, or give us a call 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 412-532-6805. Again, 412-532-6805.